Attention freelancers and solopreneurs. Freelancers and solopreneurs. You are tuning into the Remote CEO, a show that will help you scale your business, become the authority in your market, grow into a better leader, and create your remote empire. And now, your host, acclaimed business coach and entrepreneur, Deniero B. What's going on, CEOs? This is Deniero B, and you are listening to the Saturday interview episode of the Remote CEO Show. I always make sure to have the most interesting guests and ask them practical and actionable questions so that you can take that knowledge and scale your business with it. So if you do enjoy this podcast, I would love for you to leave a review on your podcast app. It only takes a couple of minutes and it will make a big difference. Now, don't forget that we do release the five-minute episodes every single day at around 6 a.m. Eastern time. So subscribe to the show and you will get bite-sized actionable content delivered for free to your device. Also, share this podcast with other fellow entrepreneurs, freelancers, and solopreneurs. You're on the rise, so it only makes sense that you share this journey with like-minded people. And don't forget that the more you talk about these topics with other people, the more you will understand them and make them part of your everyday life. And now, let's get started. What is going on, CEOs? Daniel will be here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today, I am here with Anne Stefanik. And is the CEO and founder of Canopy Studios, a digital agency that designs, builds, and supports websites for clients of all sizes. Over the years, Anne has built her agency and is now employing over 45 people, and more than half of them are women in tech and leadership positions. Today's We'll be talking about how to design and launch effective websites, how to create communities around your brand, and much more. And how are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having me today. No problem. Thank you for being on the show. And just to get started, I always ask my clients, what were you doing before getting started with entrepreneurship and what made you get started? Sure. So I actually went to school for entrepreneurship. It was my major as my Bachelor of Commerce. And funny enough, I never thought I'd actually own a business, but um, I always thought I'd be like the number two. As it turns out, right after I got out of university, I got a job at a marketing agency. And then I also decided to start investing in real estate. So I set up a real estate investment company and uh, my partner and I started buying and selling houses. Uh, I soon quit my marketing job to become a full-time entrepreneur only to have 2007 hit and everything kind of get a little wild. So I was forced again to get another job. So I went and got a job at an agency because of my marketing background. And um, over the series of events, I ended up in San Francisco and a little naive to the cost of San Francisco. I once again started a side hustle to allow some more financial freedom. And um, that side hustle then turned into my full-time gig. And once again, I'm a full-time entrepreneur uh, running Canopy Studios. So I think, I think I was just born to be an entrepreneur. That's super inspiring. So you kind of dipped into my water at the very beginning. Things didn't really work out the way you wanted. Went back to the full-time gig. And just out of curiosity, how did it feel going back to a nine to five after you, you were working on your own business for quite a while? 
At first, it felt very strange because it was very nine to five. So I felt like it was like a paid vacation. Like I got all this free time that I didn't know what to do with. <laughs> but eventually I got actually kind of bored. <laughs> I loved the um, the excitement of, of building a business and working with clients and, and doing that. So I think that was not only the necessity of, of building, um, building some extra side income, but it was also fun. You know, it was, it was engaging to get clients and build small projects for them at the time. A hundred percent. You said it right at the beginning. Like some people are really born entrepreneurs and um, listen, having a digital presence is absolutely crucial uh, with my agency to Facebook and Google ads. My listeners know that. And uh, I also coach uh, digital entrepreneurs, but how can you maintain your website relevant? You build a website and things change so fast, so often. So how can you stay relevant and build a website that's going to at least last, you know, five years <laughs> or a yeah. bit more? How can you make that happen? So first off, it's about what we call continuous website improvement. I think a lot of people launch a website and expect that it can just stay there and be the exact same until five years and then do something then. But the best way to kind of get the most out of your website is to constantly be working on it. I know that when I first launched my digital agency, we were just going to be doing Drupal development. And our very first client asked us if we could do WordPress. I was like, um, it's nowhere on our website. It's nowhere anywhere. But I asked the, the gentleman named Shane, who was still my employee today. I said, can you do WordPress? He's like, oh, yeah, that's my other skill. I can totally do that. And I was like, great. On our website, it goes. We can do WordPress. And now WordPress is the, you know, 40% of our business. But it was being, you know, agile and listening to the market and then responding, because I always believe that when you build a website, all of that work and building a website is just a plan. The first day your website goes live is the first day of your project. And so that's the time to actually start listening to client feedback and start, you know, manipulating and changing things to better serve your business and to serve your clients. That makes total, total sense. So I know some people, as you said, they get started, they build a website and then they just wait around and then, you know, if clients come good. If not, they'll just leave it there. So what type of improvements do you think people should do in order to, you know, see if things are going to work better in case it's not working that well right now? Yeah. So if you have kind of like, if you've launched your website and you're just starting off as an entrepreneur, you probably have an ideal client. A lot of people, you know, get clients before they even get a website, right? So once they realize that they're going to have to like make this serious and they've gotten past the landing page and they're getting into a more serious website, it's often just talking to your best client and asking them, you know, what were some of the things that you were considering while you were deciding to work with me? And what were the, some of the fears that you had before you started working with me? And then what were some of the successes that we won together? And then having some of that content directly from a client will help you kind of put your website in the frame of your, of your customer, of your client's mindset. I think a lot of beginning entrepreneurs, they just put up like, hey, this is me. This is what I do. Here's my portfolio. Here's me, me, me. But the reality is the client really needs to see themselves and they need to see themselves in a, in, you know, with their problems and they're getting those problems solved. So often one of the first changes that we work on with, with um, clients is kind of reframing their website to be less about them and to be more about the client's needs. So that's a really good way is just doing some interviews, some quick little touch points with your clients. It's also a great way to you know, stay in touch with them. And then another thing is, is just to really create quality content. Google is a beast. And in order to play the Google game, you need to be generating content on a regular basis that's very specific and relevant. So I always say, as long as you're writing good quality content, 
that Google will find you. It's just a matter of time. So you need to kind of like plant those seeds early on and start making sure that you have those technical SEO elements kind of optimized. Whether that's, you know, a lot of people, if you do have either a brick and mortar business to accompany your digital business, or if you don't, you can use like a Regis office and get a digital, a physical office and then get your Google places. So having your listing up on Google places, having, you know, your content optimized so when you share it on social, it's well optimized. All of those things are really important as you kind of continue to work on your website. For sure. And now I do want to talk about something that uh, I know a lot of people I've heard in the past, which is funnels and funnels really increasingly become the one of the standards for getting clients and, you know, landing pages. So for the listeners at home that don't know what they are, it's basically just a landing page. It doesn't have, you know, the menu at the very top and you can scroll down and there is calls to action so that people can, can get it. So and I wanted to ask you, uh, what's the difference really between the two when it comes to functionalities and when should you use a website and when should you use a funnel? Great question. So I feel like funnels are really important when you're doing specific outreach on Facebook, Instagram, um, any paid advertising, because you're really hitting that dinosaur brain of like catching their interest, capturing them, providing quality content along the way that encourages them to click that CTA. The warning though, is that most users need to interact with your brand seven times before they're ready to take action. So they may hit your, land, your landing page and go through your funnel, but may not click the submit button. So you may wanna have some type of soft convert if they're just not ready. They're just like, oh, I just saw this product. I'm not really ready to make a purchase because it's 7 a.m. and I've gotta run my kids to school, but I'm gonna sign up for alerts or emails and do a soft convert. That way you can get them on an email list and capture their information. And then that's where you potentially could use your website to then offer different types of content. Email marketing is still a wonderful and really effective way to drive engagements with cold contacts. So once you get them on your email list, you can then potentially send them back to your website to help warm them up with additional content. Because some users just aren't ready to click and commit. Some are, um, but it's really kind of providing those pathways. And that's why I always recommend kind of like thinking a little higher and doing your customer decision journey which is just thinking about your user and all the decisions they're gonna to need to make and all the types of objections or frequently asked questions they're gonna have in their head. So you can start mapping that out and deciding where to send them with what content on that grand scale. So then your funnels become really effective. Makes total sense. Um, I do want to really talk about, I wanna switch gears for a moment and really talk about the fully remote fo uh, workforce because as your 45 um, employees, are they all working remotely? They are, we're 100% distributed, we always have been. And um, yeah, we're very grateful to still be distributed throughout the yes, COVID time. Absolutely, for even after COVID, I mean like, but even before for sure. And as you know, this is the remote CEO show. So you're literally the, the perfect guest right now. And I wanted to ask you about really how to build uh, meaningful connections and some sort of a uh, corporate culture when you are working fully remotely. How does that happen? How does that look like? For sure. I believe that one of the best things about working remote and is that you have to inherently trust people. You have to start off with assuming positive intent and having that fundamental trust. It's totally safe and okay for you as an entrepreneur to put in guardrails to define what trust really means so that when you have a team member 
Like I'll have an interview with a new team member and I'll say, hey, we're really excited to bring you on board. But just as a heads up, if you go dark for no reason without any warning in the first two weeks of your employment, you'll be immediately fired. Yes. And that like guardrail of saying, you can manage your schedule, you can manage your time, just let us know when you're kind of in and out. But if you go dark and don't reply to anybody, you're just going to get fired. And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, this is serious, you know, because we want to inherently trust you, but we're going to give you some guardrails. So we use Slack. We use Slack as a tool and we have what we call an in and out channel, which is just a nice gentle way of saying, hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to go take the dogs for a walk. I'm out for coffee. And so that we don't ping each other when we're not around and that we can kind of communicate in an in off in an, like a remote situation just to start like building trust. Um, uh, trust is actually one of our core values. It's called, we actually say contributing trust every day, which is other things to help build that remote culture from this, from the get-go is uh, we're an agency. We need to log our time. Everybody has to log their time by the end of day or at latest 10 a.m. their local time the next morning. Those are some guardrails. If they're not tracking time, that's proof of work. You know, that's, that's you know, another one we say is commit code every day, commit design files every day. When people say, oh, it's on my local or, you know, that doesn't help us at all. That's like saying it's on the moon. So we always say, you know, commit quality work daily and that just operationalizes trust. So kind of having some guardrails to help build that trusting culture ultimately gives you the, you know, the comfort to just, you know, onboard no team members and then the culture of, of, of accountability kind of just naturally creates itself. So. For sure. Um, I want to ask you a, a, a question about um, really working and scaling a business remotely. So now we've talked about uh, the you know, corporate culture, but I wanted to get maybe three tips for the solopreneur and freelancer that is finally getting more jobs. They need to start hiring a team. So if you want to go back when you first started, what would maybe the, be the three things that you would have liked to know uh, when you were building your team? For sure. I scaled really fast, really hard and totally failed and had to restart that. And it was painful because I had to let clients go. I had to let team members go. We had to reshape things. So the biggest amazing book that I ever read was called Profit First yes. um, by Mike Michalowicz. That I wish I would have read day one because it just takes a better control of your money and allows you to scale with money in mind not just saying, Oh, I have a lot of money in my bank account. I should do these things. You actually have to like take your money and put it in different pots and then work with what's left. And I just thought that's so mind blowing. I'd recommend every entrepreneur. I sit in the hair salon and I'm like, tell the hairdresser, she's an entrepreneur. I was like, read this book, read this book. Like, I think it's so valuable. It's, to start it's funny. Putting I, I didn't want to interrupt, but it's funny because I wrote it today in my email newsletter, <laughs> literally profit first. Yes. <laughs> I love that book. I found yes. that to be super successful. Um, another tool that I, I put into my business and I scaled with now over the last two years, and I wish I would have done this earlier, is a, is a workflow called the Entrepreneurial Operating System or EOS. And it's meant for um, organizations anywhere between two and 250 people. So what that really gave me and the most valuable component of that whole program is what is called a scorecard. And a scorecard just puts leading indicators on a one page piece of paper or, you know, digital tool to see what's going to happen in the future. Like, for example, when COVID hit, um, we do support and we do builds and our build work just stopped, right? No increase. Every project that's over 50 to 100K, just like everybody put everything on pause. 
there was like a two month lull in those projects. Nobody new started. We, you know, it just was like, there was no new inquiries. So I know that six months down the road, I'm going to have a shortage of work for two months. So that leading indicator that I got back then on this scorecard helped me manage the risk that's going to show up kind of November, December. And that means that, okay, I'm going to have five or six people without work. Let's go ahead and polish canopy or let's do professional development or let's organize vacations and really get work vacations at an appropriate time when we don't have as much work. Without those things, I would have just been like, oh yeah, we don't have enough work. And then I would have muddled along the way. And then November, December, I would have been like, oh, Oh my goodness, five people have no work. But with that scorecard, I think that's another yeah. kind of valuable thing you can implement without doing the whole like entrepreneurial operating system model, just getting what you have, you know, five or six leading indicators. You know, those that was um, a real valuable one. And the uh, third yeah. is just to really recognize that you have to do self-care. You really have to put on your mask before you can put on others. And I feel yes. like I jeopardized my health early on. And if I just like took care of my health early on, like I did my business, I think I would have had more stamina. So now I do a lot of self-care. Now I take a lot of time for myself, but I would say those three things as an early entrepreneur, I'd highly recommend. Absolutely. And I do want to talk one second about self-care because a lot of people uh, in, in with my coaching clients, especially I've heard several people say, you know, like I do watch some TV at the end of the day, or like I do, what, do something else. I, I don't work all the time. But there are certain things that actually work better. So in your opinion, looking at your, you know, winding down time and your self-care time, what are those few things that you know that will give you the best return on investment with the time spent? Sure. I am actually a big fan of let's, let's put it in the morning. I try to really focus on um, an hour for myself in the morning very early on. Sometimes that doesn't work. Um, but generally, what I focus on is 20 minutes of learning, 20 minutes of exercise, and 20 minutes of meditation. Sometimes yeah. it's five minutes of learning, five minutes of meditation, five minutes of exercise, but just something simple as like taking the dogs for a walk, um, using a meditation app like Calm or Simple Habit to guide me through a 10 or 15 minute calming meditation, and then focusing on something I'm really passionate about. I find as an entrepreneur, you kind of like, you go to work and you, you're just in a washing machine, right? It's hard to actually control because you've got all these things coming in. So when I spend my first kind of intentional time in the morning, either doing 20 minutes of something um, that I'm learning, that I'm working on, or just even setting my day up to say, okay, I'm going to do this contract review first, and then I'm going to call this client and kind of get my day organized. I find that like self-care is kind of takes care of the mind, takes care of the body, and then takes care of the anxiety by just kind of doing something really meaningful yes. right up front. For sure. I actually followed the 2020 20, uh, 20 as well, but then now it, it actually has become a 30-30 because I do kind of meditate and relax for 30 minutes. And then I actually work out while I listen to either audiobooks and podcasts. Ooh. So I take care of the learning and the exercise at the same time. Isn't that great? Just to give an idea to the listeners to, you know, like you can really tr do trial and error and figure out what works for you and you stick to, you know, what works best. Um, I wanted to ask you another question about uh, scaling your business and, and making sure that your brand stands out while incorporating your own values. I know you talked about that in the past. Can you tell us more about what that means and how that works out? Yeah. So as we started growing, I recognized that we needed to kind of all rally around the same, the, the big why. I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's, you know, start with why in the infinite game. I believe business is not a win or lose. It's how long can you stay in the game? So when thinking about that, um, we started 
formulating the, you know, kind of taking our key employee and looking at what values they exhibited. And then we looked at our clients and we said, which are the values that they really resonate with? What are the words that they're using? So one of our values is to be nimble and helpful. And we hear our clients all the time saying, oh, we just have to be nimble. We have to be nimble. The market's changing. The business is changing. Let's be nimble. So we felt like that was a really key value that both of us resonated on. So it became part of our core marketing message and it came part of um, how we actually kind of differentiate ourselves amongst the sea of other web developers. It's kind of highlighting um, our unique position based on you know, the way that we do our business, but also the way that we interact with our, with our clients. So honestly, a lot of it is, if you take your employees and your kind of clients, your best employees and your best clients, and kind yeah. of figure out what melds the best between the two of them, and then refine your marketing messages to be more about the clients but with the words and the language that they yeah. share. So, but yeah, it's often, you know, really kind of doing some deep work there. And that sometimes doesn't happen day one. It might happen, you know, year two or year three as you kind of get there. But I think the biggest, most important thing is to keep your finger on the pulse with your clients. You know, what are they wanting? What are they needing? What do they see, you know, highly valuable in you that maybe you don't even see, right? Mm -hmm. That we didn't really realize how much um, at first we did no content. We were just doing web applications and websites. And then as our designers would write a tagline or put some content in there, they were like, Oh, I really like that. Can you write more of that? Mm -hmm. And so we leaned in more and now we have full-time copywriters and we have a whole copy team, but it was something that if I just kind of stuck to process and kept going along, like we're just doing this, I would have missed an opportunity to expand my business in a really skillful way. Absolutely. I think it's a very, very great uh, tip that you're giving us because a lot of people still have that old school mentality to really understand what the clients need and want. You have to do some sort of like a million dollar focus group across the country and spend thousands of dollars in hiring people to do that. You can just literally ask your clients, do a poll even on social media if you do have a bigger page and get the instant feedback to really see what people want more of, right? Um, Listen, Anna, it's been an amazing conversation. I know my listeners will want to know more about you and your company. So where can people find you online? For sure. You can um, always find me on my website, which is canopy, K-A-N-O-P-I.com. Or you're welcome to find me on LinkedIn. Just let me know where you found me so that I get, everybody gets those weird LinkedIn requests, but you're welcome to LinkedIn me. I'm a big fan of always helping other entrepreneurs succeed. So if there's anything I can do, you know, find me on LinkedIn. Happy to have a connection, have a coffee. But that's usually you just type in Anne Canopy LinkedIn and I'll show up there. Um, and then um, I'm not too much on Twitter or whatnot, but um, definitely LinkedIn. So those are probably the best places to find me. Awesome. And again, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm looking forward to have you back in the future and enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Bye. And this is it for today, CEOs. Thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at denierob, D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B. And I will send you the direct link to the review section and to show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again, and I will talk to you again soon.